Alright, welcome fight fans to transmission number 6 of the coup d'etat of boxing, a live weekly boxing podcast airing every Sundays at 9pm Central European time, live here on YouTube, a joint venture between myself, Corruption in Boxing, and my joint venture co-host 
official scorecard boxing science. Official, how you doing? Hmm, very well. Still amazed at what we, we were witnessing this night, last night. Very good. Well, can't wait to get into it. Yeah, absolutely. It's yet another ex ridiculously late US cards, which is unbelievably punishing for certainly all of us in, in Europe having to, you know, our satisfy our fiend fiendish uh, obsession for boxing you know it kind of destroys the, the the following day especially if you've got families etc you know you end up waking up at like three four o'clock in the afternoon and it kind of destroys your sunday which you tend to sort of spend you know recuperating you know doing you sort of household chores, etc., spending time with the you know the wife and the kids, etc. But something you do, we've been doing. It's it, it's pervasive. It's protracted. It's probably not going to change as much as we try and like to, you know, cut a little bit, cut back a little bit, and um, um, just seems to get progressively worse. So you just end up apologising to your other half that it eventually it will stop, and, it, and you'll catch the fights in the morning. But you know. Your appetite for the for the big fights comes, you know, back and and we had it yesterday with um, the dust is um, still settling on the most anticipated fight of the year, undoubtedly um, lightweight division, a fight which was once uh, you know the the, the um, the ramblings between the, uh, the the sanctioning bodies once they came to a bit of a conciliation regarding the status of the franchise championship. Um, once they had agreed that, that it was unifiable and that the regular championship held by Devin Haney was not recognised in that in that sort of context. Um, all four belts were up for grabs. Vasily was defending his WBO. WBC franchise, WBA Super, with a record of 14 and 1, up against Tiafima Lopez, defending his IBF championship. Um, this was, for me, it was a, a an exciting fight. It had a, a fight of dramas. It was a fight of two halves, and ultimately, official win. It, in watching the fight, certainly this morning, uh, having you know recuperated on some sleep and um, watching it sort of fully awake and having the ability to maybe slow down the action and, and, and focus on some of the potential swing rounds which were visible yesterday, this was an extremely close, razor close fight. Contrary to what the judges may have seen and it wouldn't have even mattered if 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 you factored in knockdowns etc um there was only one winner on the cars as, as, as far as the judges were concerned and that was tiafima lopez a scenario that we had entertained last week in that he's clearly the more marketable fighter for top rank so 
to me, it wasn't beyond the realms of possibility that Teofimo Lopez would, had the fight gone to the cards, he would have uh, been the recipient of a decision. And, uh, you know, he's an American born fighter, so he's, he's extremely far easier to, to market. And looking at the, the sheer volume of betting, which was levied not only in, in casinos, but across. Uh, Tiafimo's bets in terms of frequency of numbers outweighed Vasily and, and it kind of appealed to the young to the younger sort of demographics. So it's it's logical in that sense that top rank would be analyzing that as well and thinking that he's clearly appealing to the younger generation. Boxing is desperate for stars, something they, they clearly don't have at the moment. There is a void given the Manny Pacquiao and, and some of these legendary fighters are literally on the brink of retiring from the sport. Um, so the impetus is needed for an injection of young, you know, talented fighters who do appeal, have a fan, sort of a, a friendly style uh, that can attract casual fans as well. Um, Tia Fimo, once he had, uh, you know, agreed to the purse and, and, and maybe he'd received a higher purse, but he was definitely pushing and, and sort of promoting the fight as well. The blood blood was sort of factored in. Uh, there was genuine sort of animosity between the two fighters. And um, we saw it, you know, we certainly saw that in the fight. And now in, in sort of analyzing the fight, um, there's been a lot of unwarranted criticism regarding Vasily Lomachenko's performance coming into the fight. Um, now, we, we saw from the way in that, that Vasily had reinforced his upper body, specifically his neck and his upper back. Um, that, that is clearly a fighter who is wary of the power of his opponent and he's trying to fortify his punch resistance. Now, you've got to look at the whole aspects. He's, he's nine years older. He's had significantly more miles on the clock, having, you know, a substantial amateur program from starting boxing a lot earlier as well. So, and we've seen that that he's he's ascended through three different weight categories, and he's now clearly fighting at a higher weight category. So there's a lot of adversity uh, that he's facing now. And when you factor in the wear and tear on his bodies as well, he's he's had surgeries, um, multiple broken hands. Um, so the body is not impervious to these sort of wear and tears and injuries it did it, it happens through a, a rigid and tough and a kind of a unique training program that he goes through you've got to remember Vasily much like the other Ukrainians they they, they incorporate a lot of sports as part of their boxing training so they're, they're playing soccer tennis uh, there's a lot of track and field they do um, a lot of unique and, and sort of mental exercises. So it's 
it's it's very different from the general blueprint sort of white label training programs that maybe other fighters in in different countries will kind of implement so it's tough on the body so so Vasily was realizing that he's he's fighting against a a bigger fighter um somebody who has displayed power uh, somebody who's only gone 12 rounds once in 15 fights. So Vasily was clearly wary of the power and he wanted to insulate himself as much as he could. So so he looked strong, certainly upper body-wise. And I think the strategy from both fighters was clear and both of them had disseminated their strategy. There was clearly no stealth or no information warfare uh, none of them were reticent about uh, disclosing, you know, exactly what their game plans were. Now, we saw with Tia Fomo, who, who had brought in Joey Gamash into his training camp, and we and Tia Fomo's strategy, I think, was clear that he was going to play, you know, he was going to try and bully Vasily Lomachenko from the opening bell. Um, he was the bigger fighter and he was going to try and push Vasily onto the back foot. Um, he was, he had the anecdotes before that Vasily couldn't fight on the back foot. So they were clear in their strategy. And Tiafima was doing a lot of uh, body work with, with Joey. Joey was wearing the, the protective um, around his waist and they were targeting the body as well. So, and Vasily has a, you know, a disproportionately large sort of, you know, upper body. Um, so the body is always one area that, that, that can be targeted. So it was the correct strategy in, 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 in forcing Vasily onto the back foot and try and target the body. Now, conversely, I think Vasily's strategy, um, he had also indicated that possibly a 12 round fight in which he was going to try and take the starch out of Tiafimo's punches by forcing him to miss for the early part of the fight. Um, but the key for a southpaw is that you the objective is to slip the jabs and, and, and the heavy punches. But Vasily was taking the punches on the gloves. Uh, he wasn't slipping the punches, nor was he able to jab with Tiafimo. Um, which was surprising to me because Tiafimo's jab, it was relatively quick, but he wasn't, once he was throwing the jab, he was, his left hand was quite low. So he wasn't jabbing from a high guard position. It wasn't necessarily a quick jab, but he was, um, he was very active uh, and he was throwing very hard punch. It was a hard fudding jab and, um, the key was Vasily was not to suffer too much damage during the early part of the fight, knowing that Tiafimo has been struggling to make 135 pounds, has clearly indicated that he's going to be moving up subsequently, has only fought one 12-round fight, doesn't have a vast level of professional experience. Um, so it was to get him, get him into deep waters and pour it on later on in the fight and potentially try and knock him out late on in the fight. Because a lot of the over and under positions was around sort of 11 rounds. So Vasily was indicating maybe he'd get him out there in the 11th or the 12th round. So in retrospect, it wasn't 
it wasn't a bad strategy and we know boxing is about margins if if Vasily had got Teofimo Lopez out of the fight in the 11th round which he was very close to doing then we would have been eulogizing on on, on a perfectly calibrated strategy but unfortunately people have gone to the other extremes in saying that he he did absolutely fuck over the first half of the fight but when you're facing a a significantly bigger fighter is throwing very hard punches relatively quick punches and Tiafimo's punches were forcing Vasily out of position and that was one of the key points and I think one of the most significant aspects of the first round was that Tiafimo Lopez what he did was when he was forcing Vasily back so Vasily couldn't get lead foot position couldn't slip the jab, get lead foot position, which opens up his left hand, takes Teofimo Lopez's jab out, makes it very hard for him to actually land a right hand. He can only really right hook it. But what Teofimo did was that he, he was cutting off Vasily's space very well, didn't allow him to start pivoting on the right. And what he did, he landed, I think, one of the hardest punches that Tiafima definitely threw, he landed a right hook, which initially in watching the fight, it looked like it penetrated the guard, but it was actually around the guard. And it landed flush, and it could you could clearly see that it it it, it hurt Vasily. Definitely, it definitely launched into it, you know, put put his entire body into it. Um and Vasily was definitely hurt by the punch. Now it is those are the punches that that makes a fighter almost like a reassessment saying that, look, maybe I've got to be a little bit more patient. Um, maybe I've got to, you know, now that I've tested, you know, tasted his power, you know, the power is not superficial. It definitely is genuine. So maybe I've got to be a little bit more patient, not take too many of them, you know, make him keep loading up, make him keep missing. Eventually, he's definitely going to get tired. Once he gets tired and there's not enough starch and zip on the punches, that's when I can launch my attacks. Um, but from the judge's perspective, when when Vasily is only really relying on defense as one of his scoring uh, components, the judge is not going to award Vasily the fight, even though Tiafimo Lopez was predominantly hitting the high guard. He wasn't hitting Vasily up top. Apart from the first round, a lot of the punches Vasily was taking, and he was taking body shots, and you could clearly see bruising and sort of redness around the body. But he was taking body shots when Tiafimo's punches were hitting Vasily on the high guard. He was literally bouncing off the ropes. Tiafimo was following in, cutting off his real estate, forcing Lomachenko to pivot out onto his left into Tiafimo's right hand in which he was landing those body shots because Vasily was more conscious about protecting his chin and certainly his, his temple area for any sort of equilibrium punches. So the judges were giving Tiafimo the early rounds based on activity and he was the ring general. He was the one who was pushing Vasily back onto, the, onto his back foot and, and moving sort of laterally around the ring and literally not frying any punches, only landing, you know, just intermittent sort of, you know, jabs, maybe one or two, but still trying to look at the sequence of what Tia Pima was doing. But 
Teofimo didn't give him many opportunities to counter because he was, you know, the punches were coming at a, you know, at a quite an odd sort of trajectory, you know, low, low hand position, not necessarily a high guard position. Um, he was just using, I think, a classic sort of the bigger fighter tactics, you know, bully the opponent, you know, throw hard fighting punches, you know, cut off, cut off the ring, uh, wear him down, break him down and try and knock him out. It was something we see, you know, certainly Vladimir Klitschko, those sort of tactics that he tends to dictate to, that he was dictating with, with, with his jab. And it was, to me, it was kind of, you know, very reminiscent of what Vlad Klitschko was doing. But it was not. It was not until the the sixth round for me, in which Vasily started to slip the punches instead of taking the punches on the high guard, and he began to actually get a little bit of lead hand control, starting to jab over Tiafimo's uh, low lead hand, um, and that was something I was surprised that he just took too long to start doing. I felt he could have done it. Early on, there was clearly clearly opportunities in which he could have, you know, thrown that lead hand over. He likes to get underneath the lead hand, you know, throw the straight left hand, get on the outside. Then he would fire those body shots, and he began doing that. And it sort of coincided with with, with Tiafimo definitely getting tired. So that gave Vasily opportunities to come forward, and you could see Tiafimo's defense was capitulating. Um, certainly didn't have the same composure, was foolishly employing the shoulder roll when your opponent is getting progressively stronger, so you're not in the comfortable position. And it was a, to me, it was a horrendously bad tactics to be employing that shoulder roll. You know, you you don't do it when you're in adversity. You, you, you generally tend to do it is when you're dictating the fight and you're able to roll off the punches off the shoulder and then come back when you've got prime sort of foot position and you're you've literally got your opponent sort of pinned down that's when it's better or if you're a natural counter puncher but you've got good leverage and that's when you know you can you can use the shoulder roll but no it was the wrong tactic and, and Vasily was starting to land you know body shots as well he was landing all of the clean shots um so Tiafimo Lopez, for me, I think, uh, won the first five rounds, I think. Um, but sixth round onwards was when Vasily was definitely getting progressively stronger. Not too much sustained dominance, but he was definitely occupying the center of the ring, not moving laterally, you know, lead hand, lead foot position, you know, landing the better punches, I think the harder punches as well. That's when Tiafuma was starting to counter punch when he was under, under when, when Vasily was in more close quarters, which is not a bad tactic. Because what Tiafuma was doing before is that when, when Vasily was in, in the first five rounds, when he was trying to get lead foot position and try and pivot off to the right, Tiafuma would, would cut off the ring and he would throw the uppercut. Now, the uppercut wouldn't always land, but it was a deterrent. And I'm sure Vasily felt the reverberations off the, off the gloves, certainly off the elbows as well, knowing that Tiafimo definitely studied the tactics which Vasily was going to implement. So he clearly had studied, and it wasn't wasn't a bad 
was a pretty well calibrated, well thought out, you know, game plan uh, from Tiafimo. Um, and he showed some heart as well. He was taking heavy punches. Um, Vasily pretty much won everything from seven to eleven in the eleventh round. Um, I think he came very, very close to getting a knockdown, and I think he definitely probably needed a knockdown maybe at that stage as well. Um, you know, Tiafimo rallied in the 12th round, but a lot of the punches he was doing, he was hitting heavy high guard as well. And I think the 12th round is one of the one of the swing rounds. Um, he was landing body shots, but the commentators and uh, a lot of a lot of um, boxing media was talking about he was landing significantly headshots and he was hurting Vasily. I didn't see any of that whatsoever. I saw him landing body shots, but I saw Vasily was landing the headshots. So you can make a strong argument that Vasily actually won the 12th round. So in all, it was a you know a very, very close fight, razor close fight. Six rounds each is the way I scored the fight. Initially, I thought it was maybe a seven to five Tiafimo, but in watching the early five rounds, um not a clean, not a lot of clean headshots, a lot of punches being being blocked and parried on the high guard. Difficult to give Vasily the rounds, you know, he wasn't throwing any punches, he wasn't throwing with him, he wasn't countering, he wasn't getting lead hand. Um, he was definitely, definitely wary of the power, very cautious. He didn't want to be knocked out, he was clearly hurt in the first round. So maybe it made him pursue his attacks a little bit longer, but to his detriment, um, it was too late. But it wouldn't have made any difference had he scored a knockdown in the 11th or the 12th. If, if Julie Lederman is given 119.09, then that is a, an absolutely absurd scorecard. You know, it was a very, very close fight. Could have gone either way. If anybody had scored the fight seven rounds to five each way, I don't have a problem with that. I think 6-6 six, six is a fair scorecard. I don't think anybody outright won the fight. Um there was only one person who was winning the fight at the back end of the fight. And we know the second half of the fight is very key sometimes in in dissuading the judges on, on who is dominating the fight. Because it shows that if, if Tiafimo's aggression was super effective the first half of the fight, then Vasily clearly would not have been in the position to mount a major, a major rebound in the second half of the fight and dominate the second half of the fight. And you can make the argument that if anybody was hurt more in the fight, it was Tiafima Lopez in the 11th round because he was he was he was definitely on queer street taking taking heavy punches, taking clean punches. But he showed he showed his heart, showed his will, showed good skill, came back in the 12th round, you know, good little insurrection, but but I'm not sure whether Tiafima Lopez should be um, should be the undisputed champion based on what I see. And, and I think I've scored the fight objectively. Um, um, yeah, those those are my thoughts, official. What about yourself? Oh, 
Okay, first of all, speaking of staying late, uh, staying up uh, till 8 a.m. in the morning in order to, to watch the fights live, I think it's as taxing as it was taxing for Lomachenko to get on the inside against Teofimo. Uh, but yeah, uh, first of all, I would like to say huge respect to Teofimo Lopez. Uh, I have to, to stress that because... Look, what he did, 22, 23 years old, it really, I was uh, a day or two before the fight, I was on our, our friends Unravel Boxing Talking News podcast, and uh, Jimmy was on there saying that uh, basically he was giving props to Teofimo for, uh, for fighting uh, Loma so early in his career, and indeed, uh, it's uh, such a throwback fighter, throw throwback type of fighter move, you know, in um, this era where uh, the young fighters are too too careful, trying too, too hard to protect their careers, to, to play it safe, their whole careers, uh, stepping up in their 30s to, to finally fight big fights. Uh, some, of, some of the so-called top fighters uh, like uh, Crawford and... Uh, even uh, Spence, uh, they still didn't haven't fought uh, a level opposition, and they're in their thirties, and uh, maybe they're about to, to finally start fighting each other, uh, hopefully. But anyways, speaking of this fight, yeah, uh, Teofimo is such a throwback fighter for taking this fight. Uh, yeah, the, the way I scored it, I had the exact same scorecard as you, six round to six. Uh, and uh, with that being said, I wouldn't, I don't have anything against uh, anyone scoring seven to five for Teofimo or seven to five for Loma. Uh, me myself, I gave the second, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, and eleventh round. Uh, those were six clear rounds in my opinion to loma uh and uh, yeah you you can make the case the there were a couple of swing rounds maybe uh yeah the fourth round and the twelfth round uh ultimately anyways i i really gave the twelfth round to teofimo but uh, loma was doing a wonderful work earlier in that round as well he was landing many shots like you said many great shots uh now about loma's game plan yeah first six rounds he was it was extremely boring um i was kind of surprised that he started so late although there are you know what there are two things first uh, he may have had this game plan probably he had uh, this exact game plan of taking uh, taking Teofimo's sting away in uh, the first half of the fight uh, because he knew he's such a strong puncher and he definitely felt his power once he was in the ring with him uh, now in the first six rounds I gave uh, five of them to Teofimo, except the second round. My problem with, with scorecards are like uh, that particular second round. I'm not saying that uh, Loma won it by much, but he, he really started landing, snapping uh, not only jabs, but swivel jabs, uh, kind of hybrid hooks and jabs that he likes to throw, just like Pacquiao. 
and uh, yeah there was no pity patting from him uh, those were he had when he was throwing punches he had uh, mean intentions you know he he really wanted to to get Teofimo's respect although he was not active enough to to win uh, more than one round um, arguably the fourth round which was close but i gave it uh, to Teofimo i didn't have time to to rewatch it uh, but I think I really, I was able to see pretty uh, very well what was happening watching it live. Uh, yeah, so one school of thoughts is that uh, Loma clearly wanted to, to take some sting away from his punches early on. And that's why it took him so much time before starting finally attacking Teofimo. But also maybe he was planning, I would guess that maybe he was planning to to start a bit earlier but at the same time uh, Teofimo's activity and uh, smart footwork the way he was negating uh, Lomachenko's foot positioning as well as his uh, body punches and uh, protecting the space in front of him uh, made um, not Teofimo made Loma very tentative. So that's why he he was really hesitant to step on the inside because Teofimo was throwing a lot of body punches. Uh, now, speaking of his performance, uh, oh, uh, by the way, big up to True School Sports, who is in the chat, our big friend. Thank you for being here. Congrats to Loma. Uh, I, I hope you... You enjoyed you enjoy the fight, but let me get back to to the fight itself. Um, Gonzalo on BDA uh, mirrored my my thoughts by saying that uh, Lomachenko was also he uh, hesitant in the earlier rounds. He took him such a long time before coming coming forward against Teofimo because because of those body punches. And I think that the, the last round, the 12th round, uh, really explains and confirms that thought. Uh, because in the first half of the fight, uh, of the 12th round, sorry, uh, Vasily really was doing, was really doing an amazing job uh, landing a lot of punches. Uh, uh, I mean, from the seventh round on, every round he had, uh, he was really hurting Teofimo, really had chance in every of those fights, uh, those rounds, sorry, to really stop him because he was hurting him so much, including the 12th round. But uh, the way Teofimo was able to, to change the flow of, of uh, the last round was uh, as uh, Loma was very aggressive, he, he was going for broke. So he, he started throwing punches to the body, combos to the body, although he was really, uh, really very tired, but he, you know, he, he mastered the courage to, to throw punches, to, to stay active in that last round. And that's how he started hurting Loma in the last round, being that Loma was coming forward, uh, was in front of him. He started aiming that body with uh, body punches, with combinations to the body, and then moving upstairs, kind of like what Linares was doing in their fight. 
And that was exactly when he started hurting Loma in that last round. Um, but by the way, Loma showed um, in the first half of the fight, he showed extremely good defense. Um, he was he was blocking a lot of punches upstairs. Yeah, he, it looked like um, Teofimo was controlling the fight, but in um, when you're talking about the landed punches, it was not by much because uh, Loma was doing really great defensive work. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm sure um, I'll, I'll let you continue because I'm sure I have uh, many more things to say about the fight, but uh, I yeah. have to, to think. No, that was some excellent points as per usual from you, official. Now, one of the first things you mentioned was congratulating Tia Fimo for taking this fight. Absolutely. And and fighters like Javante Tank Davis and Miguel Burchelt should should have learnt and they had numerous opportunities to fight Vasily at Super Featherweight and both of them declined and there is no it is not a not really up for dispute whether they both of them absolutely you know, decline the fight and in case of Javante Davis it was one of the most high profile ducks in which his promoter come out and said you know there's no way we are fighting so so absolutely uh, um, and there was a lot of there was so many variables coming into this fight that we didn't really know too much about Teofimo could he transition from being an ambush counter puncher and have that ability to actually fight on the front foot and fight like a genuine big man and sort of bully his opponent because clearly he was getting bullied at times by uh, Nakatani who was bigger than him so he was clearly having some issues with, with a bigger man and it goes to show that uh, you know th this is not a, an aberration you know it happens in boxing it's it's difficult sometimes when when you when you're giving up all of the physical advantages, it it's not easy. Um, you can just walk in and fight on the inside. Uh, generally, if you're a heavier puncher, then you can fight on the inside. But there there are subtleties and there are methodologies in which to get to the inside. And we know Vasily is significantly better on the inside. But Tiafimo wasn't. He wasn't. Um, voluntarily getting out of the pocket when they were fighting in the second half of the fight it was Vasily's domination that was effectively pushing him up pushing him back forcing to forcing him to get out combination of being tired um and being hurt but it, it was not out of his own volition but he was it, it was the domination from Vasily so but on the first half of the fight you know Vasily it, it, it he was very reluctant about engaging and, and coming, getting getting to sort of, you know, that short range in which he likes to land punches up through the middle specifically where he has his faster hands, faster feet, um, you know, better sort of combination punching uh, are more effective. But when you're, be, when you're being hurt by body shots and head shots, you know, it is difficult. And ultimately, it, it is a bit of a, a travesty and maybe there's a referendum that we need in boxing because clearly 
why is defense part of the scoring criteria when judges are clearly not not even they're not even concerned or not even focused on judging clearly if 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 there's if there's a scenario being played out where there is not a vast amount of clean punches from either fighter um so effective aggression is 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 null and void if if clean punching is is few and far between so it does come down to ring generalship and it does come down to defense but clearly ring generalship has has a much heavier loading in, in the eyes of all of these judges than defense but defense is one of one of the most hardest skills to to have in boxing it's not a case of just simply having a high guard and blocking punches or having you know very quick feet and running it's it involves a far level higher a far higher degree of skill but the judges are not even interesting and Vasily was showing good good defense but but the thing is if, you, if you're not repelling punches you're only landing sort of single one or two punches um it's it's difficult to give that fighter because it's it, it comes down to activity and aggression and who is the ring general and 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 the judges felt that Tiafima was was purveying those characteristics much better than Vasily. So I guess that you know that that was their the rationale behind some of these wide scorecards. But in going back to Vasily now, the way he structures his boxing, it's it's in phases. Now, the first phase is always reconnaissance with him. Maybe that's a, a euphemism for being a slow start or whatever, but a lot of these a lot of these prime sort of cerebral boxes tend to do that. They all tend to start a little bit slower, primarily because they're observing, they're, they're sometimes giving their opponents a full sense of security that they're able to land punches, but in, in, in actual effect... If you guys actually play chess, which you know, watch these Ukraine, Ukrainians and Russians do, it's just you're kind of giving, you're kind of hanging the rope out, thinking that you know you're gonna have, you're gonna be hanging yourself, but in fact you're leading them down the different path in which you can actually land your attacks later on. So you're studying, you're looking at the patterns, you're testing the power, you're looking at the speed, you're looking at the combination of they varying the speed of their punches. Um, are they setting any traps? Um, and and that's what Vasily tends to do. But he he starts to land the body shots from generally around three. So it's reconnaissance. Then he's probing. Um, then he's beginning to land the body. Then he starts that phase of actually accelerating, um, breaking down the opponent. And then finally he's looking to knock them out. So it's it's. It's always a phased, multi-phased attack. But in this fight, Vasily literally had to go from reconnaissance. There really wasn't too much of the probing or the breaking down. Eventually, he had to go from reconnaissance to start sort of dominating and trying to knock Tiafimo down. So that that also puts a, you know, a great deal of pressure on Vasily because he doesn't really have a lot of time and he must know that he's probably behind you know, the eight ball. He's already expressed early on that it's not beyond the realms of possibility that top rank are looking to put the belts on Tiafimo. So he's not averse to that sort of strategy. So he, he knows he's probably going to have to 
maybe get multiple knockdowns or try and even knock him out late. And credit to him, you know, he definitely went to war in, in, in the latter rounds. He was definitely trying to win the fight. So all of those vehemently sort of deplorable people out there who were criticizing him, saying that, you know, it was a pathetic performance or whatever, you know, um, there's not really too much you can respond to these absolute idiots uh, who, who clearly don't understand boxing, never really taken heavy punches of a harder, much a bigger fighter as well. So don't understand, you know, the, the difficulties and, and, and the Sorry for cutting you off. It's, it's not easy. You're trying to get a fighter who's in the prime years of his life, you know, in his 20s, a very athletically gifted fighter who's tough as well, resilient, you know. So it's it's not a straightforward sort of objective in trying to knock him out. But credit to Vasily, you know, they were both training. They were both tired as well. The body punches were definitely had an effect on Vasily as well. A couple of, you know, low punches as well, which he which he sort of induced as well. So Vasily was, was, was tired. You know, he was gasping as well. Tiafimo perhaps got his, his second wind a lot earlier as well, um, which allowed him to maybe come back a little bit in some of the rounds and start trading as well. But it was a very, very exciting, you know, second half of the fight. Um, yeah, um, I don't know, official. Um, anything else you want to add? Yeah, uh, in, in fact, I have a lot of more things to, to say. Uh, yeah, hitting a moment, and I mean, uh, and those people are behaving as a, as if they're playing a video game, you know, so they, they, they don't have in their mind, they don't have that sensibility of... Uh, of uh, them getting hurt, they they're like they're only behaving like as if they were playing Fight Night Champion on PS4 or something. Um, but yeah, I, I would agree that uh, I was hoping for Loma to to go for broke uh, a round or two earlier. In that case, I would I would uh, surely have him winning seven eight rounds. Um, he yeah he he waited for too long but he was how however he was really tentative because the that power of Teofimo and constantly aiming his body whenever he was in front of him in that space in front of Teofimo Lopez was was a real danger for uh, for Loma now yes at the same time I would agree that he should have started a round or two earlier uh, but you know what I have I have to talk about uh, how this fight went about um, uh, I was expecting him to use the different kind of footwork and do the different things now unless I'm missing something um, I was um, I was negatively surprised that uh, he was not. Uh, Using Teofimo getting out of position, uh, especially when uh, he was throwing those body punches, lunging forward. Now, Teofimo was uh, never a guy like, uh, well, like uh, a guy we covered in the previous fight, Navarrete, who, who I told you, Navarrete, he can throw a wild punch, get a balance, but at the same time, he's setting a trap 
to catch you with another punch after that, and Navarrete is able to do that, but uh, not Teofimo. Um, no, yeah, uh, Loma, it also took him uh, long because he, he was clearly expecting, and it was the case, it happened that way, so Loma was right in that regard because he was waiting for Teofimo to lose not only the steam to take the steam of uh, Teofimo's punches, but also for Teofimo to lose the form of his punches, uh, form of his defense, and it really started happening. It's just that uh, at the end... Uh, Lomachenko was tired as well, man. Especially in the later rounds, I seen him uh, pushing, pushing really hard um, to fight Teofimo at closer range. But I saw that he was really tired, probably because of the, those body punches. But to get back to to Loma's footwork, uh, the fight I was expecting to see before this fight was for. Loma to be more uh, fleet-footed, to make, to, to really concentrate, especially in the earlier rounds, because in the earlier rounds, I was not expecting him to, to go in uh, straight away. He's a slow starter, we know that. But still, what I was expecting from, from Loma was to to use a lot of in-and-out movement. Now, what, what he was doing, he was just... Um, moving away from Teofimo's punches without capitalizing on uh, Teofimo getting off balance. Now, that being said, unless uh, I, I'm missing something, but I really thought that uh, if he tried to be more fleet-footed, if, if he had a different game plan, uh, he may have won uh, a couple of early rounds uh, and uh, couple of clear early rounds if he tried to to counter him more to get him off balance and counter his counter but yeah much easier said than done um you know what if and, you, uh, yeah something you mentioned that i agree now whenever fighters have tried to get lead foot position on vasili what does Vasily do to try and neutralize that almost instantly? And that is, he switches stances, which is the best weapon to anybody who has foot, lead foot position on you. And that's what he could have done a lot more going to orthodox. Because if, if Teofimo is cutting off his space, forcing him back in straight lines, and then effectively stopping him pivot off to the right, so you're forcing Vasily to move to his left, and that goes into Teofimo's right, right hand and he's able to hit the body because Vasily is just trying to get the fuck out of dodge so if you go to an orthodox position then it clearly opens up you know his straight right hand and Vasily does have a hard straight right hand and that is one position he in which he could have countered Teofimo's sort of left hook um, but he didn't do enough for that and, and that to me was a little bit of a surprise and the other surprise to me was that Richard Comey was able to counter Teofimo's jab from round one. And that is what led to Teofimo making the adjustment. As I mentioned last week in the fight, the one punch that Comey kept landing against Teofimo in the first round was a counter right hand. He would slip Teofimo's jab, slip to the outside, come back with a straight right hand, and it would keep landing, landing, and landing. But the problem was that Richard Comey was a little bit too far away, so he was hyperextending. Now, 
when Comey was fraying that right hand, Tiafimo in one of the screenshots I looked at, if you look down, he could see that Comey's left hand was nowhere near his chin. So he was putting everything into the account of right hand, but he wasn't protecting his chin. So very good reconnaissance there from Tiafimo. So in the second round, Richard Comey was very buoyed by his buoyant by his success in the first round. So he came in a little bit closer. Tiafimo actually set that trap for him in his own adversity of getting, you know, hit with that counter right hand in the first right hand in the first first round. So Comey is a little bit closer because he was hyperextending. So Tiafimo just simply fainted with the upper body. Comey is thinking, here we go. The jab is coming. I'm going to counter right it straight away. But Tiafimo gets prime position on the outside, knowing that when Comey throws that straight right hand, his chin is unprotected, and then bang, lands that right hand on Comey's chin. So it wasn't a case of two guys just trading right hands in isolation. It was actually very good IQ, boxing IQ, ring IQ from Tiafimo Lopez. So we, we've given him actually credit for, for having very good boxing skills for a, you know, for a 23-year-old. But my point is that if Richard Comey is able to, you know, to counter in an orthodox position, Tiafimo's jab, then then that is something Vasily, I was thinking maybe he should have gone the orthodox and he, and I felt he could have definitely done that with his own right hand, but very surprised for, for such a fluid switch hitter who has that ability, but these days he tends to use the switch hitting more from a defensive posture as opposed to making that adjustment from a countering and countering the counter to get not only the lead foot position back, but if he's having problems with somebody who's got maybe perhaps a longer reach, then he can just change that angle. But he couldn't do that. He could not, he couldn't get any angles on the early part of the attack. And he was just, just rotating, moving laterally in the wrong position. And um, yeah, um, it was a, it was a bit of a surprise to me official. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, look, uh, when I was seeing you remember very well, and all of you remember that before the fight, I was expecting Loma to be a terrible matchup for Teofimo Lopez. And judging by all the previous fights uh, that Teofimo had uh, before fighting Lomachenko, it was uh, really, it was really looking like that. Now, what Teofimo did in this fight, he this means he he looked like, like like a different fighter because we never saw him do those things. Uh, although many of those things, a lot of things that he had success with, uh, to be honest, uh, without trying to, you know. Anyways, we got our prediction wrong, it's sure. But uh, almost all the things we we said uh, Teofimo would have to do against Loma, he was doing it. And uh, I'll get to it uh, a bit later. But yeah, before the fight, I was seeing that Loma was a terrible stylistic matchup for, uh, for uh, Teofimo. And um, it's because we never saw in Teofimo's previous fights. And uh, I, I watched almost all of his fights that, uh, that I could find online even uh, months ago when uh, when this fight was initially announced he was uh, 
never doing some things that that he was doing and it means that uh, Teofimo and he, his team did a really wonderful uh, homework on uh, Lomachenko and had uh, had the right game plan and they implemented uh, uh, I, I mean Teofimo was using his physical advantages uh, very smart smartly and big credit for him for that uh, now yeah the thing also, is, like I said, and also official, his great points there. Also, he's he's somebody who's been prone to panic attacks, asthma attacks. So mentally, there were some questions as well. But he was he looked very composed in his ring walk. Looked very composed backstage. There was definitely a possibility that the fight mentally could have been very difficult for him. Um, you know, a very young man doesn't clearly have the level of experience. You know, Vasily's only really lost one championship tournament in his entire career and one professional fight, highly controversially. So clearly a man who is not phased by, by the, the big fight occasion or the pressures that are associated with championship fights, having fought champion after champion and free weight categories. But he was... Very impressive from Tiafimo that he wasn't mentally, he didn't capitulate. Uh, and uh, yes, yes, that's true. Even mentally, he showed up to be uh, stronger that uh, at least me, myself, I expected him to be. So uh, a lot of credit to him in that sense, in that regard as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, look, his stamina, I still do think that uh, he would be tired if uh, if Lomachenko was, was more nimble on his feet, because uh, for, for me, the reason, one of the reasons he, uh, Teofimo didn't get, he ultimately did get tired, but uh, was able to withstand uh, Loma's attacks. Uh, but he was not as tired as I would expect him. Also because in the first six rounds, um, Loma was allowing him to breathe. Yeah, Loma was making a miss and uh, tire himself out, but not enough. Be uh, I still think if he, if Loma started fighting at a high pace earlier, um, because you could see any round that any of the rounds that Loma won, he won it with a very high pace, and he was able to to beat Teofimo to the punch every time in those rounds with uh, with high activity. So I think that if Loma was uh, boxing that way for uh, for a couple of if he started boxing that way a couple of rounds earlier, he would be able to to deplete uh, Teofimo's stamina even more. Uh, now, now I want to say something about the commentary team and scorecards. And uh, keep in mind, this has nothing to do with Teofimo because uh, anyone listening to this podcast, to this episode, can clearly hear me giving uh, Teofimo a lot of props. So with that being said, I'm not trying to shit on uh, Teofimo. It has nothing to do with him, like I said. But... Scorecards, of course, they they were terrible. I don't want to to waste my breath on them. However, I was telling you right before the show. Imagine if uh, if we were all agreeing, if uh, the scenario was a bit different, and in uh, in the eyes of all the boxing fans, 
imagine if uh, Loma clearly won eight or nine rounds with those scorecards that uh, that we saw the last night and having it uh, extremely close fight, six to six in rounds. Even if Loma was able to, to clearly win eight or nine rounds, he would, in my opinion, he would still get robbed. So, uh, so I Absolutely think that... Uh, yeah, so Julie Letterman's scorecard, even mm -hmm. if Vasily had two knockdowns, he still would have lost the fight, which is absolutely absurd. Exactly. And, uh, oh, I think I, I lost my, my train of thoughts, but hold on. But anyways, okay, I'll, so before I try to, to, to remember what, what I wanted to add. The commentary scoring. thing you were mentioning. Yeah. Uh, I cannot really remember, but I can go on about the commentary the commentary team, uh, they were very also one-sided. I mean, uh, Teofimo, yeah, he was uh, he was doing a better job, but even when Loma was doing really great job, they were not calling punches, etc. So, but I'm not trying to 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 shit on uh, Teofimo once again. It's just that it made uh, it made. Um, following the broadcast really hard for uh, for some of us uh, i was really you know i was really mad at it and scorecards yeah i mean look seeing the the, the scorecards that we got last night it really explains that loma was right uh, in some sense about really trying to to knock uh, to knock Teofimo out to stop him in that sense he really uh was right about uh, taking you know taking too many rounds away too many early rounds half of the fight in order to try to to come strong in the in the second half of the fight and uh, try to stop Teofimo uh, so that's the reason why he uh, he was really negative in the first half of the fight, which again there there there, there are um, you know I still give you how do you say it I also gave you the reasons why it was wrong for him, but ultimately uh, I don't want to shit on uh, Loma because. You can see what uh, what he was trying to do, especially seeing those scorecards. And even uh, right after Teofimo um, stopped uh, Richard Kame, uh, Lom on his own uh, YouTube page uh, was being interviewed and said the same thing about him believing that uh, his promoter would want uh, the younger Teofimo, who speaks English, who's, uh, who's very braggadocious, uh, exciting, 22, 23 years old to to win the fight, but that's um, that mm, those things that I'm saying. Though it's not a knock on Teofimo, because he did uh, extremely well well in this fight more than I, than I expected. But it's about the bias and uh, the reason that that uh, you really can't uh, can't really enjoy boxing. Uh, if especially if you're uh, if you're listening to the commentary, so definitely a clear sign that you have to mute the fight and uh, not even uh, pay too much attention to scorecards 
because that's another reason that I cannot uh, take seriously many, even a corruption, even many of our friends who are like, even when they see a robbery and then they're, um, they're talking about who's a better fighter than, than who, they still, they're, they're still um, basing their opinions on, uh, on the official scorecards, although they are, they're admitting that um, that uh, there are clear robberies. They they still take them. They're taking them into consideration, and that's terrible. Uh, but once again, to 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 close uh, this part of the show where I was talking about the bias in the media and uh, American boxing uh, boxing establishment, it's not an icon Teofimo. It's uh, it's an icon. Uh, Bias establishment, bias boxing establishment. Um, you, yeah. you only had to hear Joe Tessitore's words when the announcement was weighed. It was immediately the American born fighter. So there was a clear, <laughs> they wanted to make that demarcation straight away and claim him as one of their own. But they'll use the Latino card whenever they're going to try and promote the fight or appeal to that sort of demographic so we know the the typical sort of marketing strategy which they employ and they're never going to have a ukrainian who doesn't speak english as the face of boxing or as somebody who can you know take the sport forward when you look at look at the racial tensions that are already emanating around the world etc you know the, the so are we really going to have a ukraine <laughs> to me it, it, it was almost mutually exclusive but but that's that's the sad that, that it leads a sickening feeling in the pit of the stomach when somebody like Vasily Lomachenko, who is a you know a bastion of the sport, somebody who has he's made history, so he has to go down as one of the greatest because look at his amateur record and look at his professional. He's the first fighter to be a free world, world champion in the least number of fights. So. It's not a case that he's emulated somebody. He is surpassing those records. So he has to go down as, as, as one of the greatest ever. But boxing is not reciprocating that to him. And we saw with, with the Orlando Salido fight, and we're seeing that in this. And we saw that with the, with the absolutely ridiculous, you know, I lost a tremendous amount of respect for Steve Weisfeld, who isn't that bad, but is certainly prone to some of these absolutely ridiculous scorecards. And Julie Letterman, well, clearly she needs to be joining her father, you know, and getting the fuck off this planet because she's <laughs> no business adjudicating fights whatsoever. Um, you know, Vasily has not even had a fight in the Ukraine. So he's based his entire career in the United States. So when these fighters make this sort of sacrifice, you know, you're learning a new language, you're basing your training camp, you're moving your family here. Not 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 a per, a permanent set of migration, but you're you know, you're spending a great deal of time here. You're trying to get within the the, the culture, the structure and the fabric of US boxing. So you cannot say that he hasn't tried to integrate himself and you reward these peoples with these sort of officiating like that you know not not showing him absolutely any respect and you know that is for me is 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 really the 
the thing that that is the component that really sickens me to my back stomach. You know, how many other fighters of this official who, given away all of the physical advantages, you know, are nine years older, fighting in the weight category, which is clearly above his prime sort of opti- optimum, sort of 126, 130. But he couldn't get those fighters, fighters, you know, shitting in their pants, didn't want to fight him whatsoever. So he's having to come up to lightweight fighting fighters who are 135 pounds, rehydrating to 150. Fighters who are 5 feet 10, 5 feet 9 should be fighting at maybe 140, 147. But what what is Vasily doing? He's not running. Well, maybe in the early part, but he's going to war and he's trying to win the fight. He's stepping it to them. And how many other fighters can you out there are showing that they that they're prepared to go to war and win the fight and take punishment, take some punches to give their own punishment. There's not clearly, there's hardly any fighters out there who are willing to, you know, step into, you know, into the lion's den under those sort of circumstances. So you've got to give Vasily, you know, a tremendous amount of respect, whether in, whether in defeat or whether you felt that, you know, he won the fight, you know, he, he definitely, he was definitely there to win the fight and, uh, you know, is a great fighter and he's one of the greatest fighters of all time. Simple as that. Yeah, absolutely, man. Look, I have to 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 give a, a big up to recognize the Matrix from BDA who once again mentioned something and big credit for him uh, for that, for uh, saying that <laughs> it's very easy to, to, to hate on Loma, uh, those who, who have a bias against him and uh, some of these term Europeans, because Loma is a fighter who's definitely going to give you that opportunity to, ha- to hate on him because he's a much, like you said, much smaller fighter who, who, who would still never duck a fighter. And uh, he, he will give uh, those big, huge fighters uh, um, the opportunity to, to prove him wrong, wrong and uh, to, to uh, ultimately for uh, Loma's haters to, to laugh at Loma and uh, Loma's fans to, to hate on us, you know. So, so it's really easy because... Uh, Loma is never backing down. He he always he gets every opportunity, no matter how big it is. Now, definitely, look, I would say uh, in his pro career, uh, his problem is definitely uh, he didn't have an all-time great. Uh, maybe except Teofimo, maybe he's a, he's a future uh, all-time great. You never know, uh, and uh, I'll get into it in just a second. But first, I'm gonna mention that in his era, there was no uh, all-time great fighter that up till now that was willing to face him. Um, especially in uh, his more natural weight classes. So, so yeah, you can say he, 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 do, he doesn't have a great name, uh, winning against a great name on his resume. But, however, uh, he really fought extremely good fighters who were, by the way, much bigger than him uh, above his natural weight class. Because remember, uh, before uh, shitting on uh, Lomachenko, you have to consider that he started his pro career very, very late. So it means, uh, imagine 
like I said in the last episode, if he started his pro career at 18, 20 years old, he would be remembered as a probably 126 uh, weight class fighter, maybe 130. But, he, you know, even at 130, where he, he was doing an extremely amazing job, he, he was still fighting against, uh, against the bigger guys that, uh, than him, uh, people who were rehydrate much more than uh, than him so those are all the things that you have to consider before um, uh, hating on Lomachenko and plus look he was a smaller fighter dealing with most of his opponents as if they were they were children man um, and he was doing and the reason for him uh, despite not having all-time great uh, wins against all-time great uh, opponents are that he was really treating them as they were levels below him so yeah you have to consider that all right what about what's next for both fighters and not necessarily what they're gonna do what ideally is a, is a scenario what you would like to see um, Vasily, does he remain at 135 pounds? Would you like him to stay there? Maybe he's talked about, you know, Tank Davis in the past, but Tank Davis will clearly he'll get a little bit more exciting after the result of this fight because clearly their strategy has been one of procrastination. The same thing that Floyd Mayweather did to Manny Pacquiao, um, you know. The same thing that Canela Alvarez did to Gennady Golovkin. Um, exactly. You know, you're going to wait, wait for these guys who are really veterans. Um, once the wear and tear starts, the degradation of their physical attributes starts to go. Then, then there's maybe an opportunity that they're more vulnerable, and that's when you're going to pounce on them. So it's it's one of these bitch ass tactics that we see in boxing, you know. Once upon a time, fighters used to fight in the fucking ring. Now they fight on Twitter and social media. It's a whole bunch of pussies out there. Um, yet they're giving, you know, people like Vasily and, and sort of Usyk, you know, a lot of grief for just getting out of their comfort zones and, and challenging, you know, behemoths or bigger fighters whatsoever. So too many motherfuckers out there who just you know, need to be decapitated. Uh, so what would you like to see, official? Uh, uh, look, uh, I will, and even Teofimo himself, uh, we were all able to, to hear him uh, in um, just in, in the last few days uh, talking about uh, Lomachenko earlier saying that he may go back down to 130. Uh, clearly, uh, going back to 130 would be a great uh, move for him. Um, now, but the, despite that, I would still like to see a rematch. I'm not saying that uh, he would uh, uh, that he would necessarily win a rematch against Teofimo, who may get even better, who who clearly got a lot of confidence after this fight. So so maybe you can say in a possible rematch, although. I'm aware that there is no rematch clause and that Teofimo is aiming to, to move up to 140. Uh, let's say if there was a rematch, I would say uh, Loma still stands a really great chance of winning against him. Uh, now, if, if he lose the rematch, well, again, 
I would say you tried two times against uh, against Teofimo, so respect, uh, it didn't work out, so it doesn't matter. But the reason for me saying that I believe he would stay uh, stand a great chance of winning the rematch was that this time he he would be already aware that he cannot um, start this late and he would sell out much much sooner in the fight he would started working much sooner and so yeah maybe in the process he would uh, unlike in this fight maybe he would get knocked out uh, i mean uh, in the 12th round uh, he was uh, he, he was repeatedly cut with like three straight right a uh, counter right hands uh to to the face cleanly and i was amazed that uh, he, he buckled and uh, teofimo buckled him a couple of times in the fight but Loma was doing, uh, you, you know, was was really hurting in the second half of the fight. Almost every round, like, he had a chance to to get Teofimo out of there. Uh, now, yeah, if, if anybody maybe, was close to being knocked out, it was Teofimo. He was hurt more in the fight. Clearly, there, there's no dispute there. Absolutely, absolutely, and I was really, I was really excited. You know, I thought that it's about. Anytime from from here now on, he, he he's going to stop uh, to stop him, and it looked that way. He was close to doing that, but yeah, beside beside uh, the rematch with Teofimo, of course, he can he could uh, fight um, Tank Davis, who may finally muster some courage to face him after after this last fight. But yeah, it would be smart also to to move back down. Maybe try to to fight Teofimo once more, or uh, try to get uh, a tank in the ring with him. If not, to to move back down. Um, yeah, man, I, I, I'm sure there are many things that I want to say that that I'm going to forget because I really had a lot of things to say about this fight. I may just add uh, one or two things. Uh, I, I think that look, uh, it's already people started hating on uh, on predictions on uh, on predictions that uh, all of us had. Uh, most of us uh, was predicting that Loma would win, and like, but still, what what gets on my nerves is, like we said in the in the previous show, it's not about you picking Teofimo to to beat him. Is just uh, not not giving. No one ever gave us the the, the exact uh, scenario of how Teofimo is going to beat him, except for us on this show. I think. Um, some, yeah, some a, lot of, people... a lot of people taking credit for predicting Teofimo by knockout, but that was that was not the correct prediction in the slightest. Yeah, in no the knockout, no knockout, so that's just that was just wishful thinking. Absolutely corruption. And one more thing is that uh, still, beside that, of course, we, as you can see, we were wrong about our prediction. But uh, <laughs> we already spoke about everything that Teofimo should do in order to to hurt Loma and to to win the fight. And um, I was. 
see, I was talking about him being able to to catch uh, Magdaleno a couple of times with the right hand, predicting and timing um, Magdaleno going to to the blind angle, stepping to the blind angle, and uh, he was he was doing that same thing against Loma. Only that he was not doing it with the straight right hand, but uh, with the uppercut. In fact, it was the thing I was I was expecting. Um, Charlo, Jermal Charlo, to to do against Dervianchenko um, as well, but uh, Teofimo definitely had more success with his right uppercut timing. Uh, Lomachenko stepping to to the blind angle with the right uppercut than uh, Jermal could do against Dervianchenko, but that, not only that, we also saw him. Uh, Kind of like uh, Butaev against uh, Besputin that I already mentioned. Uh, I cannot remember uh, because, look, I was speaking on our show, on, on my own channel. Uh, I appeared a couple of times recently on uh, Unravel Boxing Talking News. Uh, and I was mentioning all of these things uh, that Teofimo, he was, uh, he was waiting many times. He was timing also... Loma stepping to to the blind angle with the left hook to the body, and um, he landed a couple of those left hooks to the body with Loma stepping in sideways, timing him and hurting him pretty bad. Uh, I'm sure there are many other things that that I mentioned that that I saw in the fight. Uh, Teofimo doing it, so my my, my only surprise is that. Uh, Teofimo was able to do better than, than I expected him to do. Um, and when Jimmy on uh, Unravel Boxing Talking News asked us, uh, would you, despite uh, picking Loma, would you be surprised if uh, Teofimo wins this fight? I said no. So, yeah. And plus, uh, those hating on uh, on our predictions and on Loma are also taking away from Teofimo because Teofimo not uh, not only uh, hold on uh, let me gather my thoughts Teofimo only did better than I expected him to do and he was indeed doing the exact things that you and me said before this fight that he should try to do against Vasily Lomachenko. Exactly, walking him down on the front foot. That's exactly what we said. That's his best strategy to employ, to bully Vasily and target the body. Yeah, body punches. We were definitely talking about the body punches and, uh, uh, you know, going, um, mixing up punches, his combos up and down. And, uh, yeah, and I, I can even say if you were right about him, he was not... Look, Teofimo was not able to to uh, to create uh, the occasions uh, coming forward, except for, uh, for for the body shots that Loma was giving him, protecting his uh, his chin and his his head. But he was uh, but he was doing well at um, at uh, taking the opportunities that Loma was giving him. So I knew that uh, it would be hard, and it was despite. Uh, Teofimo doing great. It was hard for him to to create, to layer his offense, to to set up punches. 
his offense in that sense. But what he was able to do was to to negate Loma's offense and uh, capitalize on uh, on the openings that Loma was giving him, not 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 the openings that he was creating, but uh, he was capit more capitalizing on the openings that Loma was creating, giving him uh, with his style. All right, now. Lopez obviously had a massive injection of confidence. Buoyant is on top of the moon, probably like somebody on Crystal Meth is talking about maybe vacating and going up to 140 pounds and challenging Josh Taylor. Well, I'm not sure whether that's a wise strategy, but what are your thoughts on that? Uh, sorry, can you can you repeat that? I only heard Josh Taylor. Ah, uh, so yeah, yeah, you're saying about Teofimo possibly facing Josh Taylor in the future. He's he's expressed a desire about yeah vacating and moving up and challenging Josh Taylor. Um, oh well, yeah, that would be definitely amazing. And uh, being that he's a strong fighter who's training to to stay at one thirty five. Uh, I would say, if, look, although Josh Taylor is hell of a fighter, uh, Teofimo would, I, I mean, I haven't done any study, I, so don't take serious what I'm saying now, but uh, I I definitely think he would stand the chance against, um, against Josh Taylor, but the problem is I don't expect that fight to happen because I would uh, expect uh, Josh Taylor to move up to, to 147. I do think that for now, the plan for Bob Arum and uh, top rank is uh, to, or maybe, uh, you may never know, maybe it's too late for, uh, for, for the Crawford train. Maybe they're realizing they're, it's late for the Crawford train, but... I think I still think that at the moment they're trying to make a big fight between Crawford and uh, Josh Taylor, and uh, Josh Taylor, even right after uh, winning against uh, Regis Progre, immediately after the fight he was saying that uh, he's looking to move up, that it's not that easy for him, it's very hard and taxing for his body to to make 140. So I absolutely do expect him to to move up to 147 very soon uh, after after having the, the unification fight with Ramirez I would expect him to to go up now that uh, it's not that I would Agreed. not want him to stay uh, to stay at 140 because it's a really great uh, great division one of the very best divisions in the boxing and <laughs> Teofimo Lopez would be amazing addition to that already super strong division and extremely underrated division so yeah as a boxing fan, as a hardcore boxing fan, I would uh, perhaps maybe even prefer him, prefer for um, Josh Taylor to, to stay at 140 because <laughs> uh, the division is so lit. And uh, I think that 147, the current 147, so is good but vastly overrated. But with that being said, it would still be exciting to, to see how would he fare against the 147 fighters as uh, mainly Terence Crawford because that fight would be very easy to make out of all all the others 147 possible fights for uh, for Josh Taylor. Uh, even oh well, the last episode or uh, two episodes ago, we we were talking. You were you was talking about him possibly facing uh, 
expense not that you were expecting that fight to be made but you, you was just giving your thoughts of how that possible uh, how that fight would possibly how that fight could go you know so i don't know i hope uh, i i answered your question uh, yeah. i think yeah. in terms of the matchmaking and the next moves for tfema there, there is some caution from top rank because they definitely do have a commodity in which they can nurture but you've got to be a little bit realistic and pragmatic tfema wasn't exhibiting any revolutionary nuances to what he was doing against Vasily. He wasn't anything, there was nothing, no major superlatives in what he was doing. It was just very basic, fundamental, big man tactics to bully a fighter. It was nothing. Corruption, can I say just one thing? They're really sorry for that. But it was disciplined and, and there was structure to what he was doing, motive, purpose and determination so he was very hungry for success but you can't just pitch him straight away against you know josh taylor in your first fight he's got to have he's got to have some warm-up fights and there's no guarantee that he even beats somebody like jose zapeda who is a tremendous boxer puncher but i've always said that i've liked him from day one you know you underestimate his power at your peril and you get sent to the afterlife and just ask Yvonne Baranchik that, um, you know, he can fight in different ways. So if he has to get aggressive, then he will do. And we saw in that fight. So there's no guarantee. You know, people like Regis Progre at 140 pounds. There's no, there's no guarantee that Tiafima beats him. Certainly not immediately, you know. That, but he's a little bit impatient. Maybe that's not a bad criticism. He wants to fight the top fighter straight away. You can't blame him for that. But as a manager and a, as a matchmaker and a promoter, you've got to say, look, you know, we do have to exercise a little bit of patience here. You're only 23. You know, there is, you've shown some 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 new skills, certainly in this fight. So there is, unlike Deontay Wilder, there is, you know, there is, a vessel in which we can uh, educate, nurture, and your skill set can improve. So, you know, Joey Gamash doesn't look like a bad secondary or a, an ancillary sort of trainer with him. You know, a, a very good fighter. So clearly, they they did um, they they analyzed the deficiencies and and what they could exploit and what they could. So clearly, that. that in amidst the chaos with his with his father who acts as the foil for sort of Joey Gamash, there is, um, you know, Tiafimo is clearly listening, and he, and he said that in the past that his father doesn't switch off. Uh, maybe he has a better rapport with Joey. I don't know. I don't really know the the dynamics between the relationship, but clearly he's he's observing and he's implementing the instructions. So. Uh, it, it is a working relationship, so um, so there are improvements. He can definitely improve, certainly on the inside as well. His combination punching and his defense definitely has to improve. Um, he definitely gets hit to head and body far too much. And under pressure, as we saw from round six onwards, um, and clearly his conditioning can improve as well. And his conditioning is definitely correlated to the amount of weight he's losing. He's synonymous with being a party goer. He's a, 
he's already admitted to doing so, but he's a very young man, so you're going to go out, you know, partying. He's, he's recently married, so you're going to enjoy life as well. So it's finding that balance, um, getting to the correct weight, you know, working with strength and conditioners, working with a dietitian, not ballooning up too much in between fights. Um, so he's not utilizing his training camps as, as just curtailing 20, 25, 30 pounds. You know, if you can get it down to around sort of 15, you know, within eight weeks, which is which is a reasonable sort of parameter, that's good. You know, he'll only get better. He's not even got his man strength yet. So there is absolutely a lot of upside to Tiafima Lopez and at the simultaneously top rank can can promote him. They can get him on all of these ESPN, God knows whatever, all of these US shows, whatever. You know, he appeals definitely to the younger generation in which we see. So maybe they can, you know, bankroll on his name, you know, get him onto ESPN plus as a pay-per-view star, whatever else. So so yeah, there is bright there is potential in 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 the Tiafimo Lopez sort of commodity status. So we'll see, you know, going forward. But in terms of Vasily, I'm not too sure. Um, I think he's 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 too much weight in his upper body, in his upper body, and there's not as much dexterity in his legs, and that is clearly evident. He's not using that T shuffle that he does from sort of side to side, up and down. Um, there's not that much spring in his in his step, and there's not that explosiveness in his footwork and his ability to just sort of switch left and right very quickly at that sort of shorter range in which he likes to fight. So maybe it, it, it's a combination of too much weight, too much upper body weight. Um, that coupled with sort of age wear and terror as well. So much like Manny Pacquiao, who started transitioning, developing his right hand, you know, and he transitioned into a very good sort of boxer puncher, very good counter puncher as well. Um, so maybe, uh, you know, Vasily, I think definitely has all of the skills and the ring IQ to do that as well. So it it, it, it may be that, you know, his work rate, it's not going to be as, as, as dominating as, you know, high tempo sort of all action. Uh, at the second half of the fight. So maybe he has to try and maybe box a little bit more and he can definitely do so. He's clearly, he clearly has power at 135 pounds. Um, you know, he's pretty much dropped everybody at 135 with the exception of Tiafimo. So clearly does have punching power. And at 130, we know that he, he retired a hell of a lot of good fighters as well. So he's definitely does have punching power and even one punch punching power as well so it's not not all doom and gloom for him i don't have a problem with him going back down to 130 uh, if that's his proclivity there are fights for him at 135 pounds if he decides to stay there if a devin haney or whatever you know he's been a lot of trash talking now, talking about Vasily being, you know, a bum whatsoever. So, you know, Vasily definitely has some scores to settle with him. You know, that's a fight I wouldn't mind should that happen at 135. Although I can't see uh, Devin Haney and his father ent entertaining that fight. 
uh, now that now that this this the risk and the returns of the ratio has systematically changed. So, you know, Devin Haney does a hell of a lot of talking. Is he even going to fight Tiafimo? They've talked about that he doesn't really want to fight brawlers, which is pretty much his euphemism for saying that he doesn't want to fight a puncher. So there's a hell of a lot of bullshit out there. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I would like to... I think I think for Vasily Lomachenko and Miguel Burchill is the fight for me. Um, you know, Miguel has he's, he's he's hooded he's hidden in that secludity and and the sort of anonymity of sort of Mexico, and he's got a, got away with doing a lot of talking and pretty much not fighting anybody whatsoever. Made a lot of uh aspersions that he's going to be fighting um you know unifying belts and he's had opportunities to do so but he at his own at his own volition he rejected those fights i don't know you know he's looking to fight oscar valdez instead of you know the other top ranked fighter who holds the you know the ibf belt so i don't know with miguel it's it's very hard to see what Zanfa promotions are, are sort of projecting with him, you know, very disappointing in, in what he's done thus far, just just beating washed-up fighters one after the other, you know, fighting rematches with Francisco Vargas, totally unnecessary, you know, fighting a Jason Sosa who's washed up, you know, been beaten, stopped, beaten down, um, was a good fighter back in the day, not disputing that at all. And now on Oscar Valdez, who's who's showing a great deal of vulnerabilities. So I don't know. It's kind of hard to project the future for Vasily, but I think he's definitely he definitely has opportunities both at 135. But I think 130 is is the right weight category for him. Um, that's that's in in sort of sync with his natural sort of body weight as well. Um, I think he'll he'll be far more. He'll have that flexibility and the agility in his footwork as well. He may not get any better, but I think the degradation will be far less at 130 than it will at 135 pounds. Where power is is definitely power and size are definitely um, factors that are that are giving him a great deal of trouble at 135. When we saw that in. In, in, in various elements in, in, in the sort of the Pajuasa and the Luke Campbell and the Jorge Linares fight, but it was more apparent and more acute in the Tiafimo Lopez fight. So it's going to be difficult for him. So I'm, I'm not, if he wants to go down to 130 pounds, I've got no problem. You know, he's been a freeweight world champion. Maybe the belts, maybe Lopez vacates. The belt gets split up, so he has a chance of fighting for undisputed gathering the belts up up again. So any anything is possible. There's hell of a lot of scenarios, but um, yeah, it was a damn decent fight. I definitely enjoyed it. Very pissed off with the scorecards, but for me, I, I felt nobody won the fight. I thought it was six rounds apiece. I think it's a fake decision. So. I think that's about as much as we're going to cover as an immediate sort of reaction to this particular fight. You know, it's been a 
very long night, long morning, haven't really seen the fight again, haven't got a lot of great deal of sleep as well. But um, I think we talk a little bit about one of the other fights that was on the card. Sorry, corruption. I would I would like to add at 140 pounds. Um, Alex Sacedo was fighting an undefeated fighter in Arnold Barbosa Jr. and um, a very good fight, very good scrap. Uh, bad blood between the two fighters beforehand. Barbosa was, you know, looking for respect, trying to win the respect of Sacedo, and I think he definitely accomplished that. Um, top rank, think very highly of him, and uh, we can see he has multi dimensions to his game. He can he can fight at the different sort of ranges. Um, very explosive combination punch. I like it when he gets down low, comes back with that left, right, left, then comes up top with a left, right, left as well. So he can fire off a whole tranche of very quick combinations, changing levels levels as well. So he's not just in the punches from a from a from a sort of a crouched position to catch a fighter if they're coming head and body conversely if they're trying to counter him as well. So but Alex Salcedo clearly doesn't know how to fight from the outside. You can see at long range, he's not even firing off any sort of jabs or, you know, straight right hands whatsoever. And he does have the height to do so, but he clearly wants to start engaging and trading. Uh, but once Barbosa stopped fucking around in, in, in switching styles initially, which didn't give him absolutely any advantages, whatever. Once he, he gauged that and he he fought in his, his, his natural sort of stance and was able to establish a good rhythm, um, yeah, he was able to pick his punches at will, uh, trade heavy lever on the inside, both of them, but he was much better at long range, at sort of mid-range, um, better combination puncher, had the faster hands, had the better defense. You know, Salcedo defense is pretty non-existent, taking too many punches flush. You know, that's already shortened his career thus far up until now. And with that Lenny Z fight and fights like this, that's only going to accelerate his retirement. But we saw a little kind of an interesting dynamic where they used a they used a video technology for the first time um, and uh, a knockdown which was ruled a slip and we saw Joe Cortez review that particular I think it was at the end of the at the end of the 748th round I can't remember exactly but um Barbosa threw a you know a wild punch was off balance and sort of on his back foot and Salcedo definitely connected with a punch. May not have been too hard, but it was definitely definitely a punch which which caused the knockdown. And you know Joe Cortez reviewed it and um, in real time, so there was not a in in between the the, the sort of rounds. So uh, a good use of technology to sort of annul. An, an initial decision by the referee. Um, so, uh, in the end, the knockdown wasn't too 
significant, um, pretty wide margins for you know Barbosa, who now gets into. I'm not sure whether he's in the mandatory position, but he's definitely thereabouts with most of the ranking, um, with, with most of the sanctioning bodies and um, good little fighter official. I'm not sure whether you saw the fight. I've seen too much of his previous fights, but definitely some some skills that uh, Barbosa has. Uh, yeah, to be honest with you, <clears throat> uh, I was watching the fight, but I was not paying too too much attention. Uh, yeah, um, Barbosa really clearly made uh, made a difference once he really decided to to prolong the range at which he was fighting uh, Salcedo. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I was I mean I was glad that they were utilizing the technology to to review. Uh, to review was it to to, to, to to make a decision was it a knockdown or not i think uh, that's a really good thing for boxing uh, that it should have been implemented a long time ago but to be honest with you i was i was so hyped up uh so into Loma versus Teofimo fight that i was not really trying to to pay attention to to what was happening in the ring same for uh, for the for the fight before that one um between the puerto rican guy uh, oh, I, I forgot his name uh berlang and the other fight the other 10 rounder which was really good uh, uh, former uh, lieutenant of fidel castro edgar rabenga <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for that. Yeah, but um, even that fight, be, um, the fight that happened right before um, Berlanga versus uh, Sociedad, it was a really nice fight. But I was I was not paying uh, really a lot of attention uh, to them because I was so so hyped up about the main event. But um, anyways, let me know uh, if uh, if you wanted to say uh, some more on those those other fights or not because later I, I, I can wait but I would have to to make another three points uh, three more points three last points uh, about the Loma Teofimo fight but I can wait uh, if you want to, to go on to no no you can proceed you know the Belenga <laughs> fight um, not a lot to say there you know I mean, if you if you had gauged the odds on um, on the first round knockout, which was extraordinary, then um, a pretty easy pick to make, and um, definitely a heavy-handed fighter, but not not a not a great deal. Got to give him respect that he did knock out a fighter who I think previously hadn't been stopped before. Um, it's going to get it's going to be difficult to find opponents for him the way he is just dissecting them in in one round and top ranker clearly marketing him as this you know 15 straight first first round knockout so it, it, it's a great way of getting you know some casual fans or, or getting some interest on some of the undercards as you mentioned a lot of people are not even paying attention to the south cedar fights whatsoever but it's always nice to get some knockdowns in your appetizers before the sort of main card so he, he's a perfect 
addition to somebody's to the way that they configure these cards for somebody's high level fights but um that was the only two fights i saw on the undercard um so no nothing from me on on the rest of it so you can proceed on to the um the two other points you wanted to make yeah thank you yes yeah, so uh, look uh you know, I already told everyone on on, uh, on the other channel that I don't really like uh, making pound for pound lists, especially top ten. Now, with uh, well, again, it depends on how 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 you you score the fight between Alom and Teofimo, but you you can make the case that uh, for sure that. Uh, Loma is not pound for pound number one. Um, it depends, but on the other hand, uh, if you, if like us, you had him uh, going six to six against Teofimo against a much bigger fighter, um, I still don't don't see no reason for you to 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 keep him to keep him there because uh, he he was fighting. Uh, we, we were expecting him. To, to fight a very good fighter, but um, see, the, the, in fact, my problem with pound for pound lists is that uh, people, anytime there, there, there is a, so when pound for pound fighter lose without necessarily having, uh, without necessarily being outboxed or outfought, uh, I think that people are quick to, to denigrate them. I'm not saying I would have to think because, first of all, I don't like uh, making powerful pawn lists, but, uh, and I would have to consider uh, who would be my current number one after this fight. But one thing I have to, to, to stress on about people who are about to, to, to change their, uh, their lists is that People should look at this as a basketball, meaning if you're having a lead of 20, 20 plus points against the opponent team. Uh, so if your your opponent score a three pointer or uh, scores uh, even seven eight points in a row, it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, that you're uh, you're you're losing the fight. So in that regard, it. To me personally, it doesn't necessarily mean uh, that having a tough fight, but close fight at the same time against Teofimo doesn't necessarily mean that uh, people should absolutely drop uh, Loma out um, of their number one uh, spot. Of course, you can make a great case that he isn't a number one fighter anymore, but uh, and I don't have a clear opinion on it. I'm just uh, telling people in advance that they should consider those things. Now, it's funny uh, you're, you were mentioning Burchelt. It's, it's funny and at the same time really depressing that Burchelt was clearly the one saying that he doesn't want to unify. And me and you, we never spoke about uh, the possible fight between Burchelt and um, Vasily Lomachenko, but I'm, you know, corruption. I'm pretty sure that we we are along the same uh, same lines when uh, you know that we we have a similar opinion on that possible fight, and that is that uh, that Burchelt would be an extremely tough fight. Uh, the the way uh, Teofimo fought. Uh, 
Lomachenko was kind of the style I would expect uh, Burchelt to to fight Teofimo. So it, uh, sorry, to fight Loma. So it could be a very, very hard fight, another hard fight for Loma. It's just so disappointing that he refused to, to, to unify with Loma, that he was content with uh, making his defenses against uh, nobodies because he really has uh, the potential to do the same thing that uh, Teofimo was able to do to Loma, except, of course, um, those are not exactly the same fighters, and uh, Burchelt is uh, probably much more opened, opened up, um, you know, for Loma's offense as well. But uh, yeah, it would be hell of a fight if, if it happened. But my very last point about Loma versus Teofimo, uh, look, the, the outcome, the outcome of, of this fight uh was it was all about two things one thing is that uh, we were not getting the usual loma his usual style the style we were expecting him to to use against teofimo but it is understandable that seeing the scorecards it it's pretty clear that uh, he was looking to, to to take teofimo in deep waters and stop him in the championship rounds uh, so we were not expecting uh, loma to 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 use that game plan but he was not foolish for for using it but yeah the the outcome um we got that outcome because of that because of, of the change in uh, loma's game plan as well as because uh, teofimo showed us some things that we never saw him doing against his previous opponents uh, so I think that we were before the fight we were expecting a small great fighter to fight a very good bigger fighter and employ a different game plan so that's why we were picking Loma to win but not knowing that uh, Teofimo is a step above I mean, it ended up to be a great small fighter against a great, great big fighter at the end. So that's it. Yeah, absolutely. And something regarding the uh, this whole toxic discussion regarding pound for pound rankings and every motherfucker on the planet having their own criteria, and that's all we hear about. It's really is one of the most annoying debates to have but if you interpret the true essence of what the power for power rankings is from my observations there isn't a clear number one position anymore and terence crawford his argument for having that the um the number one position is is no less any stronger um because if you're if you're not fighting at your natural weight class for what the first seven years um and if you try and what emulate what vasily lomachenko did then clearly terence then clearly terence brad crawford who is a very talented fighter has to get out of his comfort zone get out of his weight category and he has to win 
belts at 154 pounds, you know, up against live dogs, undefeated fighters in their prime. And that for me is is what effectively Vasily has been doing at, at 135 pounds. Maybe not undefeated fighters in their prime, but fighting whoever is the best. The Mikey Garcia clearly didn't want the fight and he vacated two of the belts to go to 147. Otherwise, that fight would have happened. So it's not down to Vasily saying that, look, I'm going to vacate and I'm going to go get the fuck out of here and go down to 130. You know, they were playing poker and Mikey clearly, you know, he he uh, submitted his hand and, and, and he left the fucking weight category. So that's can't blame Vasily. He's beaten whoever was there or fought anybody. So, so Bud Crawford, what is he doing now? He's, he's fighting, you know, Kel Brook. Once upon a time, a very good fighter, but UK fight fans have been kind of hoping for Kel Brook and Amir Khan. You know, this whole merry-go-dance between these two fighters, you know, they should have fought six, seven years ago, whatever. Maybe they can fight now two washed-up fighters just looking for their one last big payday. Um, you know, Kel Brook doesn't know whether he's heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual. <laughs> you know, is he 154? Is he a 147-pound fighter? You know, he's masquerading as 147, but he's clearly not. You know, what's happening to his cocaine habit, which has been tremendously, which has been problematic for him, you know, and, and Bud Crawford is fighting him now, so... Is that is that is that the level of competition that a that a incontrovertible pound for pound number one fighter is that is that the level of competition that he attains to? So, so for me, there is no outright decisive pound for pound number one fighter, and that that's fine. There's a lot of fighters who can potentially have an argument for that, or can elevate their, themselves. Noya Inoue is definitely one fighter who who can perhaps move into contention if he becomes, you know, undisputed at, at sort of bantamweight, which he's been trying to do. Hopefully John Real Casimero will grow some balls and, and get in the ring with him. Um, and there are other fighters, you know, who, but the PBC are clearly going to have, they're clearly going to be lobbying for a number of their fighters to be included within the top 10 and they're going to be definitely lobbying and, and sending you know tubes of vaseline and wire payments you know going to all of these conventions and and they're going to be lobbying for their fighters you know jamil jamal charlo to be you know included uh pretty high up in the, in, in the top 10 categories and i'm pretty sure that the financial power of persuasion that that they've been able to exercise as we've seen it for a number of years you've only got to look at them you know the mandatory fighters and you've got to clearly look at you know how many of these wbc champions have have undertaken any clean boxing testing despite you know that being represented as as part of the wbc's own unique uh, mandate which other you know sanctioning bodies of emulating but we've seen none of that so the level of corruption is absolutely pervasive and that's what happens at all of these conventions that's when all the deals and all the backhanders and all the 
you know, all of the wire payments and all of the shell corporations are all set up and monies are tabulated and fighters are promoted to mandatory berths or fighters are able to get their mandatories, you know, extended or cancelled. So it's going to be interesting, but I, I'm I'm clearly anticipating a lot of the um, the PBC fighters to be elevated within the top tank and for me it's 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 laughable so i'm not going to i'm not going to entertain this topic for too much longer but so i think from my perspective official that pretty much covers the show for this week yeah i would agree so and even what you're saying about uh, well earlier you were talking about the bantamweights yeah like uh, you and me were uh, speaking a couple of a couple of these uh couple of days ago uh, it's very sad that the same thing that uh, that is happening to those higher weight classes started happening in the bantamweight division meaning the third parties meaning um, the tv networks uh fucking the things up uh, now you have bantamweights going to to separate sides and uh, casimero who who I do like very much and I respect him. I think he's a tremendous fighter and another one, another small fighter who's uh, who's who's doing really great at uh, way higher uh, weight class than his natural weight class. But yeah, and uh, it, it was funny him calling out uh, Inoue, calling him uh, Japanese star turtle, although <laughs> it's very questionable. Is <laughs> Now you know really a turtle because he's a, he's very very athletic fighter, very strong, powerful, quick uh, with great foot movement. But yeah, I think it's fun. You know, it's entertaining for um, Casimero to call out um, Inoue. But however, it's clear that he was the one ducking the fight, and it it looks like he's trying to save uh, to save his face. But yeah, I think that. Uh, that's pretty much for mass corruption. Yeah, he's what Casimiro is doing is he's he's advocating the classic PBC strategy of calling out the fighter and but then he's relying on on the Japanese high rollers. You've only got to listen to Gibbons, you know, his manager, and understanding that they're relying specifically on Inoue's large contingency to be the financial sort of backing for the fight because John Real Casimiro doesn't really have a large following in the, in, in the US. So, so you're clearly, you're clearly cloud chasing in a way and, and you're using, you're using that name to do so, but you're ultimately not going to fight him. So he's already talking about fighting Rigo and, and possibly Luis Neri at a higher weight and sort of, you know, vacating, um, vacating his title so <laughs> we see that all the all the time with pbc fighters so um that doesn't surprise me whatsoever so yeah mode. yeah and when, when we saw we'd speak about pound for pound rankings official you know should the winner of ioka and, and and tanaka shouldn't they have a, a great argument to be i don't know somewhere between eighth and maybe sixth in the pound for pound rankings i think that's a fair 
I think that's a fair when you're talking about a four weight yeah. if Tanaka wins both of them being four weight world champions. So but that's that's not gonna be reflected in the pound for pound rankings. So it Tanaka's already if he if he had the tenth berth, they're clearly gonna get him out of there and bring Charlo in. So I don't know. Maybe one day I'll, I'll, I'll converse with some of the ring contingents. You know, I've had discussions with you know Mike Montero and that in the past. So I'll, I'll try and have a conversation with Steve Kim, perhaps even get him on this show, and we'll and we'll sit down and go through the criteria. Yeah, it would be lovely, man, because it's really sad. I mean, you're mentioning uh, Ioka versus Tanaka fight. Well, I'm going to be even bolder than you because although uh, I don't like making pound for pound lists, I forced myself to do one. And to me, Tanaka is uh, probably, from what I remember, I had him on my seventh or eighth place and uh, Tanaka, sorry, and Ioka on the fourth or even third place i cannot remember I, uh, I i i think i had him number four then in number three but it's debatable i can i can even put uh, ioka over um, over uh, inue in my opinion it's it's just really sad that um the politics are uh, creating the boxing establishments are creating um, the the pound for pound lists, uh, which you know they're including very good fighters, but it's always uh, in uh, in favor of of the more known fighters, at least uh, in the Western world. Uh, the the pound for pound lists are consisted uh, of a lot of good fighters, but underestimating the lower weight classes and uh, even myself i was gu guilty of it i was believing them because i was listening to them saying that uh, the lower weight classes are trash and that um, there is a lower pool of talent but they are much more competitive and there is a lot of talent that once again i I started discovering pretty much thanks to you and what you were seeing on your own uh, your own channel. Uh, it really made me, you know, get excited about uh, the flyweights. Although even before that, I was clearly following uh, 115 and uh, 112, especially with uh, Roman Gonzalez, who I had. Uh, I was fortunate fortunate enough to to discover him uh, many years ago. I would say around 2014, something like that. But yeah, I, I would say uh, the winner of Tanaka versus Ioka may get, I may consider as a number one pound for pound. Because to be honest with you, yeah, especially at uh, the, the first, uh, uh, probably the first two weight classes in which uh, Ioka, uh, sorry, not Ioka, Tanaka won his belts. I would say it was also due to, to his uh, size because he was very bully there, kind of like Inoue. But then he went on to, to continuously fight uh, other great fighters at higher weight classes and prove that he's indeed a uh, top 10 pound from pound 
talent and Ioka who's who's really amazing who's a who's a smaller fighter but really great Pro I would probably consider the winner of that fight uh, number one I don't know would, uh, you know something official we'll try and do that because we want to try and incorporate some thematic structured arguments about what is instrumental in boxing or some of the the, the, the sort of polarizing or issues which is causing a lot of disturbance and distortion to the sport and hence losing um hardcore boxing fans and and so maybe in in one of the upcoming episodes we'll try and maybe even forget about any sort of fights and we'll just go into a proper hardcore detailed structured discussion about the pound for pound um what it represents the origins um and whether how much has that changed in 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 the current modern sense when money and corruption is very much dictating uh, the the sport as to as opposed to what common sense and pragmatism should be so maybe maybe we'll try and focus on that and look at some of some of the gray areas and look at some of the ambiguities um i don't know it's just a fault yeah i agree i fully agree we should do that and uh, yeah we, we should especially you man you should bring more uh we should do some specials okay like you said uh, our uh, pound for pound list the pound for pound top 10 of the coup d'etat of boxing and our criteria and then uh, really we can also showcase make make specials in the future episodes about uh, the smaller weight classes and uh, people people especially they could learn especially from you a lot in that regard and uh, yeah i mean uh, i get that people and it was same for me i was not always paying attention to all the weight classes but they are so biased man uh, I, you cannot respect their their opinions if uh, they're clearly refusing to to follow certain weight classes uh, being it uh, the flyweights or even cruiserweight division so it's stupid for them to to take their uh, pound for pound lists seriously if they're not following all the all those fighters yeah so yeah i, I mean i don't i don't fucking care man about because uh, my myris breeders has a has a clear has a very good argument to be in the pound for pound top 10. absolutely absolutely yeah and then you would you would still hear guys talking about uh, not being interested in to watching tiny fighters fight <laughs> although they're not only more competitive but also more skilled and terribly underrated man compared to to the hype jobs that they're hyping up i'm not saying that those are not uh, very good fighters as well but <laughs> there is there is a clear bias against um against certain weight classes that they're not following for one reason or the other and we as the coup d'etat boxing should make do the justice to to the whole world of boxing and uh, 
like you said, instead of uh, having our uh, our list uh, being uh, inspired by by the hype that how how notorious or how hyped up certain fighters are, how how famous they are, instead consider only the pure boxing, the pure class skills, and uh, the level of opposition. Okay, yeah, I agree with you in its entirety. Now, in terms of next week official, any significant fights? Because I know there's a card going on right now. It may even be over, but the very talented, gifted fighter Jay Harris was in action against Marcel Braithwaite. Uh, I've got no idea. The fight was taking place today. I'm not sure. What is the time now? Uh, half 10 in the UK, half 11 here. So that fight is already over. So so we'll try and, try and do a, a review, definitely, of Jay Harris, who put up a magnificent performance against Julio Cesar Martinez at flyweight. Uh, fight went to the cards, Harris having suffered a knockdown, but it was a brilliant, brilliant fight. Um, so he's clearly got a hell of a lot of ability at flyweight, 112 pounds. So it'd be good to see him come back in his rehabilitation. Hopefully, get back. He's not going to be too faced by that fight. Took a bit of punishment, but um, seemed okay to me. Uh, not, not. He's not going to be mentally demoralized at all. Um, so. Um, he was up against Marcel Braithwaite, who just came off the loss from against Sonny, Sonny Edwards. Um, um, next week, official. Um, is, there, is there a card from Mexico? I'm not sure whether it's next week or the week after. Exactly, the next week. In fact, we we failed uh, to to cover that card, to do the pre preview of that card because it's taking place on October the twenty third. Uh, I think it's Friday. Uh, let me check it out. I think so. Uh, yeah, so Friday the twenty third in Mexico is Eddie Hearn's matchroom card in Mexico. Juan Francisco Estrada versus Carlos Cuadras rematch for WBC super flyweight title and uh, then uh, Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez coming back versus Israel Gonzalez for WBA super flyweight title it should be a very entertaining fight um, yeah I mean uh, we look we we spent a lot of time talking about Loma and Teofimo deservingly so for many reasons but so we, we should cover the aftermath of that of that card for sure and uh, yeah it's a triple header because beside Juan Francisco Estrada and Roman Gonzalez there is um, a flyweight sensation in Julio Cesar Martinez while uh, the opponent of um, uh, Harris of Jay Harris which was which is a contender for, for the fight of the year. I mean, yeah, we get, I mean, Baranchik Zapeda was probably better than any other fight, but there were a couple of great 10 rounders, man, uh, this year. That one, uh, Baranchik Zapeda, then uh, Martinez, Harris, as well as um, uh, on the undercard. Uh, Madrimov and Walker, that was a brilliant fight. 
Uh, yeah, I, I still I still haven't seen that fight. I think. Oh, uh, was it the very last fight? Yeah, yeah, that's the one that that I missed. And but by the way, on Saturday, October the twenty fourth, um, on Showtime, there is uh, Sergey Lipinets uh, versus his uh, replacement opponent. Uh, Custio Clayton. I never saw him, but anyways, it's for the interim IBF belt in uh, in the welterweight division. Um, so yeah, Kakarov was there a visa issue? I didn't. Sorry, couldn't hear you. What was the um, the reason for the uh, replacement with Abdul Kakarov? Was it was it a visa situation? He was unable to obtain a visa to fly in. Into, into the United States, I guess. Unfortunately, I am completely unaware of it. Corruption. I was not following. Only heard that that fight. Uh, wasn't it being replaced for? Uh, wasn't it being rescheduled for? Uh, for the end of the year, uh, Lipinets versus Abdukakaro or not? Because I'm surprised. Uh, I was thinking because I really didn't pay attention. What are the reasons uh, it got uh, rescheduled? Right. And then uh, at the end, we're getting Lipinets Clayton the next week. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure what's happening. I'm completely unaware. But yeah, the, the next show, we should definitely do the post fight review of, of the Mexican triple header. And well, it depends uh, how, on uh, how exciting the Lipinets fight is going to be. Yeah, because I'm unsure. It there was a comment in the chat that perhaps the Roman Gonzalez fight has been cancelled, but um, you haven't heard that. Yeah, so not sure about that. I haven't had, I haven't had the opportunity to look into that. But in any case, we'll cover definitely cover the fight. Looking at two of the the best fighters on a collision course to meet once again and unify the WBC. And the WBA Super Super Flyweight World Championships in one of the most anticipated rematches of one of the greatest fights I've ever seen in their first fight. An absolutely magnificent fight. Um, absolutely. So, yeah, and if if Gonzalez gets the victory over Estrada, then he's for me is clearly back in the top ten pound for pound rankings without any dispute. Uh, yeah. you know, it'd be nonsensical if he, if he's if political forces once again excluding from because coming back in your in your third phase and and winning the belt and then unifying, you know, when the narrative and and, and the widespread opinion is that fighters at super flyweight are finished in their thirties and, and so. What he's doing is then effectively superhuman, so why isn't he rewarded? But, you know, rhetorical questions. Yeah, but... Sorry, go on. No, no, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so I, I just want to, to say, to make one point that, well, it, it may be debatable, but I would say that it's... Uh, 
since since that uh, lost in the rematch against Rungwisa, I, I think that uh, Roman Gonzalez on his comeback after that fight did uh, way better than uh, he's getting the recognition for. Because uh, I do think, yeah, he, he uh, definitely, especially after the Rungwisa rematch, he was not uh, looking as he was looking at his prime, but he was still doing a great job against uh, against uh, a, real, a really good fighter that he disposed of in, what was that, five rounds. So I think it was underrated. It was much more about, uh, you know, uh, it's just that he lost uh, more of it as him lo- losing the backing of... Uh, of the American boxing establishment and the media, meaning that uh, him, first of all, losing to Rungvisite and then HBO getting out of game. So he lost, he lost the backing he had, well, at least uh, until um, the the Kaliafai fight, but he was never looking shot to me, even uh, on his very next fight, uh, right after after the Rungwist I lost. So in that regard, I think that he's still underrated. I'm not saying that he, he's in his prime, he's not, but against Kaliafai, we, we even uh, had the flashes of prime Rungwisai, uh, sorry, prime uh, Chocolatito Gonzalez. I yeah. don't think it's too late for him. And I would not, uh, look, man, I, I mean, I I would not, I would not be shocked at all if if he is able to to win against Estrada, who who in his own way is is also a really great fighter. And I must admit that uh, the fight he had against uh, Beeman, uh, I mean, I was I was over exaggerating the, the trouble Beeman was giving him. I mean, from the technical and boxing skill standpoint, from the standpoint of skills, he was really giving him trouble without any doubt. Uh, the little Beeman, but I was thinking that I was overreacting about him getting hurt by Beeman. Um, so he he did uh, he did really well. He was he stayed composed against Bimon despite Bimon giving him uh, many sorts of troubles. But it was not uh, that hard of a fight that I initially initially thought. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it so would be uh, yeah. So if, the better the competition, the better his performance is, and he just he. In a lot of the other yeah. fights, he doesn't really get motivated and he just tends to fuck around. Um, he's a big game, a big game player. And yeah. Definitely, definitely, man. And yeah. Uh, well, another point that uh, I forgot to mention. Yeah, we were talking about who would be the future pound for pound king uh, right after this fight that. Uh, Loma had against Teofimo. Well, we were mentioning uh, Ioka and Tanaka, but man, in fact, uh, Juan Francisco Estrada and uh, Chocolatito, uh, maybe the winner of that fight would probably be the number one fighter on on my list. Yeah. You know, Roman in his comeback is what? Three knockouts, beaten two champions, one former, one incumbent. And if he beats Estrada, that's an incumbent champion, two division champion, former unified champion as well. 
So it's a very, a very, very strong argument. Um, yeah, that, that's, we'll look at all of the, uh, the permutations and all of the players and all of the, and all of the, um, we'll look at all of those components. We'll definitely try and do that show. Um, so official? Yeah, okay. My, okay, my last point. Uh, we should consider, as we are talking about uh, the, the next week's show, yeah, of course, we, we are going to cover the Mexican triple header, but also we could talk about, uh, uh, we could do a little preview maybe of Usyk versus Chizora, who's, uh, we, we, the fight which is happening a week after the Mexican triple header. Uh, then Usyk, Chizora, then uh, there is, okay, uh, not really worth mentioning Gassiev versus Seferi. Gassiev's heavyweight debut. Uh, neither Davis against Santa Cruz. Well, it may be interesting, not really highly regarded uh, fight in Euro, in my opinion, but uh, I don't know. But there is also another fight now, Yainue versus Jason Maloney. So all of these fights are happening um, just week after the Mexican triple header. So uh, right. beside covering, uh, doing the post-fight review of Mexican triple header, we can uh, do a couple of previews for uh, for those fights. Fantastic idea. Yeah, definitely, definitely want to cover all of those fights, especially Usyk and Inouye and... Tang Davis and uh, Leo Santa Cruz. That definitely has some some intrigue to the fight. Mm -hmm. So yeah, absolutely, we'll cover those. So, um, want to thank everybody who joined us for the um, the sixth transmission of the Kudatara boxing, covering the post fight of the uh, highly anticipated fight in the early hours of this morning. Um, want to thank. Uh, Virtuoso, El Dog, uh, Philo, uh, Tim Nealon, B Space, The Shepherd of Sons, Duck. Who else? We've got Apology, Apology. Man. See you there, my friend. Um, uh, there, there, there was uh, okay. Shep then BT from True School Sports, which is. Uh, those are my friends. Uh, a great duo between uh, between Hassan and uh, and his dad, who, who's a legend in uh, his own way. Uh, the legendary pops. Big up to him. Big up to BT Brandon from uh, True School Sports. Intangible boxing, L Dog, uh, Saint Breed, the usuals. And by the way, guys, we are really uh, thankful to you for uh, for being with us tonight because we were expecting way less uh, viewers for the live show, being that uh, we are doing uh, this show just day after. Um, a big fight and so many many other boxing channels are live as well and you chose to to stick with us so big thank you for that yeah also a and big thank jjj i'm phil uh diego bandido cena mancia um overhand as he quags yeah that Team in yeah. and uh, I would even 
like I would even like to give a big shout out to JD Boxing on Twitter, who's uh, who's really supportive of of our channel. I don't know if he's currently listening or not, but big up to him, JD Boxing. Thank you, Tini, everybody else. Thank you as well for joining. Okay. Official. Everybody, be safe, and uh, we'll see you back this time next week for the Coup d'etat Boxing Episode 7.